Hey, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Villalucci Podcast. Honest, uncensored, and unedited discussions about life and everything in it. So sit back, relax, and let's start the show. Are we actually starting? Are we? Look at that. We normally just... Hey, we normally here. just crash in mid. Hello, hello, hello. 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 <laughs> right, so um, oh, okay. We're going to talk about soundtracks. We have got the wonderful John back. Hey. Hi, John. Third time, first time ever on the Vulture Podcast. Third time host, goes yeah. guest host. Yeah, third time. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he's the only bloke that's been on three times. That's what I'm saying. I think this is fourth time. No. Well, you said there were. There, well, no, it's my fourth time now because we had the Valentine's, Christmas, and Oscars. So I've been yeah, four times. Four oh, times right, now. yeah. Oh, the fourth time. First. Okay. First. <laughs> Okay, oh, all right. I'm saying you've got to keep near the mic. Okay, at so, at least you're um, taking the shot. So basically... Oh, before, uh, the, before you start, so I was going to ask you a question. So you know, um, you are saying you were going to see Endgame. Yeah. Um, do, will, will they have had the same uh, composer the whole way through all of those films? Possibly. Is that the norm? It's, well, they, sometimes with... Does it change directors? Or do they well, sometimes with film soundtracks, it can change. I mean, with like Star Wars, for example, John Williams has been consistent. Um, with the Star Trek soundtracks it's been i think there was jerry goldsmith leonard roseman james horner um cliff idleman um i think um trying to remember who was the music on a guy um trying to remember who wrote the music for generations um but it's that they do change i mean the the later ones like the new one is um for the new star treks with jj abrams was michael giaccio Girl, who has done um he's done things like the pixar films and right. stuff didn't he do rogue he's done the spin-offs as well hasn't he, he did rogue one and i think yeah. solo but yeah. very much as a motif of yeah of john but also williams. john williams i mean again this the john williams thing has been pretty much an influence okay so i did i sort of did ask you to do a bit of homework now we're you going did. to kick off with the track that i should listen to which is the city in the clouds from empire strikes back so my question to you is, how many Star Wars themes did you detect in that theme? It almost felt like it was the it was the greatest hits. It almost felt like it was a medley of all of them because I was oh, listening. Right. I was like, oh, okay, so that's there's a hint of Vader's theme or the Imperial March, I suppose. Um, you've got the I never is it is it Han's theme or Leia's theme? You know, it's the, the Han and Leia. So there are okay. Yeah. So to cut to the chase, there are four themes in there. There is Luke's theme, Obi Wan's theme. Yoda's theme yeah. and the Han and Leia theme. If you listen to the first four elements of it, you can actually hear what is a variation. We just explain what this is. What was it you sent us? It was the. Oh, yeah, well, it was it's, the... Okay, so the sequence is in, sit, in the city in the cloud sequence is basically. A... No, but you, you sent us a link of that and it, yeah. the Empire. Was Empire it? Empire Strikes Back, City in the Cloud. So the sequence. And that four minute, five minute thing was five, a medley of. It's, a, it's, actually, a, it's actually a key. Um, montage of themes in the sequence, which basically cuts between Luke on Dagobah to Han and Leia in the asteroid field to, uh, to when they're on the back of the Imperial thing to when they go to Cloud City. Yeah. So the reason I asked you to listen to it, it's an example of what composers, I believe, do. I mean, Jerry Goldsmith told one of the younger composers that what you do is you write three or four themes and then build your score around it. Now, John Williams worked under Jerry Goldsmith scoring some tvs i mean and he 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 composed the twilight zone theme so goldsmith actually says and he said this to one of the younger composers he said what you do is you write three or four themes and then you base your soundtrack around it so 
if you listen to that track, that's an example. But if you listen to things like Raiders of the Lost Ark, Steven Spielberg wanted a real majestic theme for Raiders of the Lost Ark. So it was da 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 da. Oh. And then John Williams was thinking da 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 da. And then Spielberg said, well, why don't you combine them? And then that's what he did. Mm. So, you know, and then with, and it's all related, relative to what the film demands. So, for example, with Jaws, for example, the famous story is he goes, he wanted a, Spielberg's, John Williams sat down and goes, this is going to be your theme for Jaws. He went, bum, 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 bum. He goes, are you crazy? <laughs> but the funny thing is, is, it's actually when you combine that with the suggestion of the shark in Jaws, mm. with the fact that the shark didn't work, it actually is quite powerful because yeah. mu- this is why a music strikes a chord with the um, with the audience. And sometimes, if you listen to a lot of movies, when you listen to Jaws or Star Wars or Raiders or Alien or any of these classic films, the music actually does take over. You can't imagine the sound the movie without that. Yeah. So when you know, just say that. When you think about Jaws, if that music wasn't there, it's nothing. Well, it's you've also water. got just a lot of water. Yeah, a lot of shots of <laughs> you're scared of the stop music. The That's what you're scared of. All oh, right, yeah. So who did the, who did Jaws? John Williams, and he won his won an Academy Award for that. Did they use that? Did they use that in all the Jaws films? Yeah. Yes, it's the mo- yeah. it's the basic theme. I mean, in um, I mean, even Alan Parker, who not who the composer Alan Parker who did Jaws three, it's at the very beginning, and they you know like there's. There's a bit of the there's there's a thing at the beginning where um, um, because that was the 3D version yeah and I, and just as like they're showing the 3D tires and them but and the the 3D tires goes boom da 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 goes boom 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 and it's like the you know that there's a certain pump to it and it's it's just so simple but so effective yeah you know if you take John Carpenter's theme for Halloween da 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 and again you that move that's that theme literally freaks more people out I mean and the famous story is when he. When he made Halloween, he he did showed it to an executive without the music, and she wasn't scared of all the music. Yeah. Really added something to it. I suppose after the first segment, it becomes like Pavlovian conditioning. The music starts, and then immediately your sort of biology well, starts. To that kick. was exactly what made that was what made seeing the the recent Halloween sequel so effective. Because we were, I was in the multimedia screening in the front row, and it was just great because suddenly you saw those titles and that theme, and we were like. And we're like me and South Africa going, yeah, <laughs> because it, it's that's the great thing is sometimes with a lot of these scores, you they're like old friends, yeah. And it's something it's something to reflect on because often one of the reasons I wanted to do this tonight was because I want to celebrate soundtracks. And again, I'm not doing this as a top five. What I have done though is I've put together some ideas and stuff that is. I mean, I've already said about the composers. So my next question to you is, what was the first soundtrack you guys ever bought? Right, so I've never bought one, so... Oh, no, no, I haven't, no. Have you ever bought one? Yeah, I'm trying to think now. It probably was, I suppose, yeah, it would be one of the Tarantinos. That's exactly what I was talking about. I I can't remember, you know, the sort of, so I suppose the curated soundtrack rather than... uh, Rather than a, a proper, um, I mean, in terms of actual film scores, maybe. Right. So, I is it? Am I? Is, is there a film? Is this like I've had? I've had albums where it's like, oh, here are the ten, you know, twenty or so best 
movie. Yeah, thing. I thought Those soundtracks kind of like... were like songs, <clears throat> but then the, is there a score? Well, there's a, the score is the I would say is the music that would be. There's my the term. orchestra score and there's the soundtrack. Score. Yeah, so, for example, I, I presume you're talking about Pulp Fiction, aren't you? Yeah, it's either Pulp Fiction or, or Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs. Dogs. One of the Jackie two. Brown, I, I did buy them well, both, but I can't remember. Okay, which so. First. I'm going to reveal what my first one was. I I think the first one to come into our house was probably Star Wars. We had it on a cassette. But then when I was about 11 or 12, we had, um, I bought, we bought in the space of a few months, we bought the Spy Love Me soundtrack, Flash Gordon. Now Flash oh, Gordon, yeah. Flash Gordon, now Flash Gordon was a, was a, it was so unique at the time because it was not only the music, but it also had dialogue from the film. Yeah. So they had like the very beginning of the, so it, in the, when you listen to the album, you have, um, so it opens with Maxwell saying, Clytus, I'm bored. What sort of plaything can you offer me today? Unfortunately, it doesn't feature Gordon's Alive. We do um, get a uh, um, blind on a rocket cycle. But, we, um, but no, but they had, um, but they used it on the singles. So on the single for Queen's Flash, they actually had Gordon's Alive. It's on the single, but it's not featured in the Thash's theme on there. But there's things like, um, I mean, other things were bought. We bought um, the James Bond 10th anniversary. Okay. Which was actually an, a compilation of all the great themes from Dr. No through to Diamonds Off Forever. And it was all John William, John Barry's score. And there was things like Under the Mango Tree. There was um, We Have All the Time in the World. It was a wonderful cassette that we bought. And I bought that alongside um, the Moonraker soundtrack. Yeah. But I also had a couple of... Um, like music and dialogue story albums. One of them was The Empire Strikes Back, and the other one was The Saga of Balstar Galactica, which had Lorne Green doing the thing. So it was like an MCA record. I also bought the Buck Rogers in the 25th Century oh, yeah. soundtrack, yeah. which um, had a great, there was a great theme track called Suspension by Kip Lennon, which was, and the original theatrical version had this Bond-esque um, title sequence. So it's, you know, like, and, um, you know, Princess Ardala and, Colonel Deering looking rather fetching in a dress. Um, you, you at eleven years old. You were into the sound. Of yeah, the I mean, um, I mean, we, we, I mean, funny enough, I remember my 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 father bringing home my to my mother at one lunchtime the double album of Saturday Night Fever. You see that I can understand because you go, okay, I like the songs, but if you listen to a score, that I don't, I don't. That's but it, it's. I'm it's, trying to think now. What I would have been about. Yeah, I'd have been about that age to buy a score, not a song like. What no, because I'm trying to remember which one's first, because also it would have been, maybe it was like my brother brought one. and Yeah, but I remember, yeah, yeah we used to have things like um, soundtracks from musicals as well, but we used to have, mm. yeah, I'm trying to think what musical score, but I mean, things like Highlander, for example, actually, I mean, that's yeah, basically yeah. a Queen I mean, album. Actually, here's the thing. One of the, I went to a funfair on Bonfire Night one time. It was like, again, it was around the same time. It must have been 1981. And you know those coconut shies and you win prizes. Yeah. Well, I got, they obviously must have got a whole stash of these albums somewhere, but it was the stage version of Mac and Mabel. What the hell was that? So, okay. So the, if you remember Torval and Dean, one of their routines, they actually used the overture for one of their da okay, ice dance yeah. routines. So of course, everybody was laughing at me and thinking, not the Mac and Mabel. It was the original Robert Preston, Bernadette Peter score. So we took it, I took it home and my parents played it. And suddenly the, the music, because it sort of became famous because of Torval and Dean. Um, but it, it's, it's like there, there's, I mean, my, my mother got the soundtrack of Lady Sings the Blues, which is the Dinah Ross biopic about Billie Holiday. And that was on tape. 
Um, I am unashamed to admit that the very first single I ever bought was Can't Stop the Music by Village People. <laughs> well, yeah, but come on. We, the, all, we all like laugh at Village, parents, village so People. Yeah. You know, when no but, one else um, is looking. But yeah, so um, that's more or less my choices. But um, on to the little list and stuff. Um, so yeah, so um, I mean, for example... Um, if you take tubular bells, the Exorcist thing. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, which you... oh, I think I had somebody copy that for me. There you go. I have done it. I have. Yeah. Did, uh... Have you listened to the whole twenty-five minutes? Uh, I'm talking about Yeezy. I've no idea. If you well, the funny thing is, um, I actually like the Mike Oldfield. Yeah, the yeah, Mike yeah, Oldfield. Was, yeah. But the funny thing is, the whole track is fantastic. It's it's one of the weirdest and most wonderful tracks ever because obviously we think of the music that they play, yeah. the Exorcist, which is probably about four minutes worth and then it cuts into this whole multi-instrumental segue um and i love it i love it on its own terms rather than the you know although i love it as part of the exorcist it it must have been you that were telling me something about the exorcist music about something about that song and the film there was some story about it no it's gone yeah no all right go on sorry (laughs) no it's not the best anecdote i'll be honest no i I remember saying there was some No, forget it. It's gone. Okay, go on. <laughs> so, um, I mean, going on to the thing about scores, it's hard to imagine things like um, Scorsese and Tarantino not using songs. Mm. Um, I mean, his new one, Once Upon a Time in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Hollywood is yeah. actually, I think, is going to. I presume, knowing what Tarantino's going to do, is going to be a lot of late sixties. Yeah, because you got to go. You're, they're trying to get an era, aren't they? Yeah. So the music well, then he is just an easy way to get to it. But then he does throw in sort of. Um, Films that aren't, you know, so songs that aren't uh, of, you know, Django Unchained features rap songs. Yeah, and, you know, oh, so, it really? I didn't realize. Yeah, not many, but I mean, it, I, know, I, mean, I mean, Kill Bill, Kill Bill's soundtrack's fantastic. Mm. I mean, some of the stuff that there's, there's a version of um, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood, but I actually like the music. There's a band, a Japanese guitar instrumental band, who you know, the fame dum bum bum da 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 dum bum. There's a there's a great track which was on this on the trailer for Kilburn. And again, you know, things, the way that he picks like songs like Bang Bang by Nancy Sinatra. And then they use like, um, twisted, twisted. Um, there's a, there's a song called twisted from vertigo or somewhere like they use the benefit. Yeah, they do use it. They, that, yeah. that rings about, they re- do reuse them. Yeah. Vertigo. But it, but he has such a, I mean, Scorsese, I mean, probably his most prominent use of, of songs and such was casino. There's about 40 yeah. cuts. I mean, things like on on Goodfellas, there was the he used the um, the play out of Layla. Mm. Um, things like you know, Rags to Riches. Um, you can't, I can't imagine a, a Scorsese film without him using music because it is so prominent. You know, the whole. I, I, I saw when Terminator Two came out. I saw that there was the making of it, and they were doing the filming bit where they're in the um, the factory, and the the two robots are hitting each other with like metal things, and they did it without any music on it. And it was just two blokes hitting each other. I thought, wow, like it just goes ding, boom, boom. Well, because those films are sort of across, you know, particularly the first one, it's a horror and an action film. Yeah. It's, a, it's a stalker exactly. who's a you robot. Don't realize... So you need the music to tell you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very bleak in places, those films, and mm. so is the soundtrack. But of course, it has an amusing thing in Terminator 2. When Terminator emerges from the bar, they use um, Jules Thurgood and the Destroyers Bad to the Bone. Yeah. Which, oh, of right. course, yeah, is, yeah. which, of course, is the song that they used in Christine. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. again, I think, that, but that, I think that points to a lighter tone in, in Terminator 2, although it has its blink moments, I think, of the two. It yeah. certainly will disregard the sequels, um, as I think they are planning to so do. So, anyway. where do scores come in? Is that part of this initial process? What it is, is. Um, 
the, how the process works is there's a ser- they probably do commission a score person to write the score probably from the outset. So right, yeah. in the Star Wars films, they like, say you know they'll say well we because a director wants to work with that composer. Right. Yeah. But what they will do is at a later stage when the films when they have a, fo- a like a specific rough cut of the film, then what they will do is they'll go in with the music editor and the and the and the director and then the composer and then they'll show a cut of it and they'll say, well, look, this is where we want music there. I want right, music okay. at that point and that point. And, um, I mean, there was, there was an interesting, um, there was a documentary around the time of Empire Strikes Back called Star Wars Music by John Williams and you could actually see him at work and they were showing sequences like, um, they had a scene showing like the famous Han and Leia scene goes, so what it doesn't, and he said, doesn't that grace open there? And then he would go away and write and then he would work with, like an editor and you'll say and he and they're going through the sequence right, okay. gently like that um has but, anyone ever been sacked as a sound guy well as it was well sure. the most famous one where somebody actually composed music um, was alex north for 2001 yeah and what it was was stanley kubrick he, he wrote about 40 minutes of music and then he decided and then stanley kubrick said i'm gonna go with the classic thing so alzor sprax Zarathustra. Oh, you can actually buy a copy of the original Alex North score, which was composed by Jerry Goldsmith online. If you get, there's but what, a which didn't make it into the it film. Did, but I've actually listened to it. And the funny thing is, is it's, although it's quite, it serves its purpose. The actual thing that Alex North wrote for 2001 is different. And it, I don't think the film would have had the impact. If you listen to. Has you know, anyone done a, has anyone done sort of a cut, um, you know, taking out the original score and putting in the Alex North? Is there a lot of, well, if I'm sure if you go on YouTube, if you go, no, but if you go on YouTube, I mean, funny enough, I've seen people do their own versions of like somebody did a, somebody took the David Arnold score from a, um, from like Casino Royal and they dubbed it onto a version of License to Kill. So, okay. so you can actually hear how the music whether or not it, whether or not a, a way of doing it, I mean, it's it's great, but it's like, well, I would rather. I think the creative choices that the director makes about the composer they have at the time is actually a good one. It's, and you should, I mean, wh- when the movie's out there, I mean, some people will look at a, you know, there are certain things where, you know, when I when I look at some of like the Bond scores, like Bill Conti, I mean, Bill Conti's score for For Your Eyes Only is kind of little bit weird you know like with whereas people like john barry michael came and mm-hmm. um like eric Serra's score on goldeneye for example again was a little different but it, it uses it in a different way and it's a different style because obviously because they were making a new change with pierce brosnan but i think david arnold actually i think he's done um i think he's the, he did a real first rate thing because he's more closer in spirit to what john barry did with that and when i hear that music it's great and then i mean thomas newman's who's taken over the reins for the later craigs is is really good as well but it's a different style so it's all relative to what i, I guess maybe that's them shifting with because obviously the first two craigs he's rough and ready bond yeah and they very sh- quickly shifted to oh so now he's slightly grizzled yeah. Yeah. I've got a random thing I've just remembered to do with sound. This is my little snippet that I'm throwing okay, in. Here it comes. Do you know, um, um, oh, what's it called? Res- uh, not Resident Evil. Um, Return of the Living Dead 2. Yeah. Then, have you seen it? Because isn't this, oh no, yeah, we won't get into the splintering of the different Living Dead franchises. Right, so it's so. the second one where um, uh, the, the paramedics, the, the, the zombie says, send more paramedics. Send more brains, yes. Send more, yeah. yeah. And uh, the scene with the naked chick who's yeah. dancing on the, the, the tombstone. Yeah. 
the music that you listen to when she's dancing is actually another song which makes sense when you watch it, but they couldn't get the rights, so they had to mm. overdub it with this song. But the original song she's dancing to is a song, um, I think it's in the 80s, called Nasty Girl. Mm. So if you Google the song Nasty Girl, I think Biggie Smalls did one after, but the I, original Nasty funny, Girl. Funny enough, I, I actually was watching the, the very first return of Living Dead today, and I was, again, that's a, that's a soundtrack that uses heavy metal. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, the punks, it's, yeah. You know, stuff like that. But it's... You know, I mean... Um, Hang on, so, so, so that's my th little thing that I'm throwing in okay, there. Okay, yeah. It was, well, it wasn't it? Yeah, because, I mean, for example, Bat, what, the 89 Batman, didn't Prince, Prince did the score for that, but no, I don't think he ever... There wasn't any... Did he really? No, no, yeah, no. There's no correlation well, between well, some of the there some of the songs, again, this was, was... That was a strange one because Bat Dance, which was the actual main, main famed, favourite song of that, I mean, it was... I think Party Man was on the set. When, when Jack Nicholson's... Joker goes into the thing. Party Man's the actual track, but the Danny Elfman so, the orchestra scores in there. But I think they did it because I think it sort of helped sell tickets because it yeah. was part of the hype. But I don't recall. I I only ever recall Party Man in the or I think the Arms of Orion or there was just, there was about two or three tracks in there. Yeah, there's not many that's actually in the film, but apparently like the you know he was just like oh these are my tracks and they're like oh okay are you gonna you know and it was like there's no matching i think apart from the nick yeah when he's on the floats i think that song is there no there nothing... were, yeah there's about there's about two or three in there but again it's a it's a rarity where the soundtrack um you know i think it was good publicity and i think the fact that prince was on there um i mean if you take madonna for example on her films for example with like who's that girl oh do we have to? And, <laughs> oh no but, but seriously it's like the version of into the groove which is on the soundtrack of desperately seeking susan yeah, is actually that. a little different because when Madonna made Desperately Seeking Susan, she was not quite a star. It, oh, was still, wow. it was still an independent movie. And again, she hadn't, you know, she was she was sort of up and coming and she was doing the Virgin Probably tour. Probably her only good one though, isn't it? Still is, yeah. <laughs> still, no, it's seriously, it, you know, she's, you know, the thing is, is, you know, if you take Shanghai Surprise, for example, it's like you can't, you know, seeing Madonna as a nun. I mean, I know that she's very religious, but the film didn't work anyway. And it's like, well... The chemistry was all wrong. I mean, I actually went to see, I actually saw its opening week when it opened. And again, the only virtue of it is, is there's a great credit sequence by Morris Binder, mm. you know, but it, but it doesn't work. It, it's a strange concoction that, that tried to be like a Raiders of the Lost Ark. And the thing is, I think the book itself was totally different. And I just felt it was just one of the things because, you know, to exude all that sex and all that kind of the way she is and she's, she's promoting sex and and that kind of image you know people aren't going to go for it they already yeah. know i mean with who's that girl for example that again that was a um that was a movie that was trying to be a screwable comedy but the soundtrack is actually really really good it's one of those like you know i think along with top gun for example i think top gun is a better soundtrack than the film i don't think oh, i really? think some yeah. you know i think there's some great tracks on there the harold fultemeyer theme and you know, Danger Zone and Take My Breath Away and some. I mean, they get their money's worth out of Danger Zone, don't they? they that yeah. plays about ten times in that film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like it, anytime but a jet plays. But, but again, I think Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer really knew their stuff when it came yeah. to soundtracks. When you look at Flashdance and you look at, you know, I mean, American Gigolo, for example, the use of Call Me by Blondie, Giorgio Romero's score on things like um, things like. Uh, you know, like Flashdance, Stallone, for example, some of the tracks, you know, you know, if you listen to like Rocky Four, for example, they've got some great ones and they're like, 
John Cafferty's Hearts on Fire. Mm. Somebody's actually combined that track with the, you know, the, the bit where he that bit of music that combines it. There's actually a full version on there, but the the, the original album track doesn't feature it and everybody gets pissed off because they want to hear because the that because the thing is just again, this is with soundtracks, is when you watch a movie, you you are so you have you have that moment so ingrained on your mind because of the music. And then when it doesn't play on the soundtrack, it's weird. There's there's other things like um, you know, there there was um like on Saturday Night Fever, for example, the soundtrack. Jive Talking is on the soundtrack, but it's not in the film. Oh. That, no. Because the story goes that Robert Stigwood, they needed some, Robert Stigwood wanted some songs for Saturday Night Fever, and that's why the tracks like Staying Alive and Night Fever, they were just a bunch of songs for their next album. But they found it into the film, and then it became a huge success, and it's the most successful, it's one of the most successful soundtracks of all time. So how did that work with the movie and the, the, the music? What came first? Like what happened there? Well, it was a soundtrack. Fever? Funny enough, it was a... So the Bee Gees had the Bee Gees, released the, those songs. No, the Bee Gees had um, conceived these songs. Right. And then as part of the soundtrack for Saturday Night Fever, they sort of put them as part of it. Oh, so okay, it be, right. it's one of the early modern-day film tie-ins. And then, of course, it was Grease, another double album with, you know, again, Greece and, and you're the one that I want, which I think was number one in England for like eight, the UK for eight weeks back in 70. I mean, the amount of times I watched Top of the Pops and that bloody song was still playing. <laughs> that said, I do like it. Um, so who did the score for Rocky, the first one? Bill Conti. And what else has he, what else has he done? Well, just so funny enough, he's done some great, he did For Your Eyes Only. He also won oh. an Academy Award for The Right Stuff, which is the Philip Kaufman film about the... But he did Rocky 1, did he? He did so they, all... They no, got he, him did, he, did, Rocky. he did Rocky 1, 2, 3. Oh, right. Um, Vince DiCola did Rocky 4. Um, Bill Conti did Rocky 5 and Rocky Balboa. Um, I don't think he's done the two Creed films, but he also did The Karate Kid. Oh, oh, okay. So Which top. is all directed by the same John guy. G. Avildsen. I mean, again, it's. Yeah. I mean, again, that's another great. That's another great soundtrack. I mean, the you know you can listen to the you know the the final scene with the crane kick. Mm. And thirty five uh, years old that film. Yeah, and yeah still, I know the Karate Kid, and still a cracking movie. And of course, oh, it's a great. And of course, have fun. you seen have you seen the new online Cobra Kai thing? Oh no, I haven't actually. A lot it's of people tell me it's it is, I've got to tell you, they've got a couple of free episodes. I guarantee it's really good fun because what they do is they open it with the actual final kick, and Johnny um, basically is retiring. And like Ralph Macchio is a bit of a sleaze ball. Yeah, I think now, they said yeah. that they reversed it around. But that, what they've done in the second season, they've now got the Cobra Kai and they've got the Daniel Miyagi doll together, and it's back to what it was before. Oh, okay. So the tension is back with in. them as the yeah, main. The, 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 and Mr Miyagi gone. Oh, he's, he's, he's dead. No, but I mean, even in the show. No, no, he's, some... he's, um, I mean, it's, it's basically Daniel LaRusso and, you know, it's the same actor as Ralph Macchio, who's executive producer and William oh. Zabka, who plays Johnny, who's like the thing. I mean, he, they, they all look a lot old, but it's, it's absolutely, I think even Martin Cove's in it as Crease. Uh, yeah. I think they brought him back, haven't they? For and this it's, series. it's just fantastic. How are they getting episodes out? Like what is it? Is it it's, it's, on you, no, it's a huge, it's a YouTube that it's, if you go online, if you go onto YouTube, there's a couple of free episodes, but I think what it is, is they're trying to tempt you to subscribe yeah. to the next one. So again, it's a stream. What, what I mean is what's the ongoing episodes? Is it like a teenage thing where, like what's the the build? No, I think it's a, it's two middle aged men, and you know they peaked. It's and the now it's up. the kind of it's the kind There's of no competition. It's at the, the conflict. It's the conflict and rivalry. I mean, there are there is like fighting in there. There is a trailer online. Yeah, and I I watched it out of curiosity, and I thought this actually works well because it, 
the opening scene is actually when he does the crane kick, they actually show an, a bird's eye shot of the guy on the ground. Oh, okay. And then it's it's sort of and it's it's really neat. They're on I think they're about twenty five minutes each, these episodes. Yeah, I've heard I've heard nothing but good things yeah. about it. Okay. But it's very it's very good. So yeah, so he's done um like he did the right stuff, which is uh, the Philip Kaufman movie with uh, Chucky Ager and the and this Mercury Seven. It's a brilliant score. Um listen to Jaeger's Triumph, which is the track that you okay. know, which is a which is the final climax. It's a it's a three hour movie, but it's a really epic thing. Um, so yeah, so that's an that's another of my choices. Okay, so uh, uh, hold on. So let's recap on the choice because we've we've in our usual way we've meandered somewhat. <laughs> so uh, what have we got so far as your choices? We had so we've got um, so I'm going to be moving on to the composers that an honourable mentions in a minute. So I've done uh, Bill Conti yep. and um, Tubular Bells in 2001 and Pulp Fiction. So, okay, so what I've got now is five composers. Um, these are my five. Um, again, this is just, I've picked three of their soundtracks. Um, so the five are Jerry Goldsmith, John Williams, James Horner, Lalo Schifrin, and Ennio Morricone. Mm-hmm. So in the case of Jerry Goldsmith, the three tracks I've picked are Star Trek, The Motion Picture, Chinatown, and Under Fire. We will review these when we've gone through the list. John Williams, Empire Strikes Back, Superman, and Raiders of the Lost Ark. James Horner, Battle Beyond the Stars, Star Trek to the Wrath of Khan, and 48 Whoa. Hours. Lalo Schifrin, Bullet, Dirty Harry, and the Amityville Horror. And then Ennio Morricone, The Untouchables, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, and The Mission. So there's a lot of sci-fi in there. There are some sci-fi, but there's a lot of classic stuff in there. So... Um, Under Fire is actually a um, 1983 uh, movie about journal- photojournalist in Nicaragua. I, was say, I don't think I know that one. It's, that the... it's Nick Nolte, Gene Hackman, and Joanna Cassidy. Okay, and it's about the Sandinista conflict in Nicaragua in 1979. It's directed by Roger Spottiswood, who did the um, Tomorrow Never Dies um, bomb film. Oh, okay. But he's also worked as an editor. He worked as an editor for Walter Hill. On things like um, on things on Sam Peckinpah, I should say, he worked as an editor on Straw Dogs, and he also worked um, on um, on Forty Eight Hours. Um, but it's a really great score, great use of pan pipes. Um, was nominated for <laughs> a great use of pan pipes. It was it, well, it was it like in. the Brazilian thing, but it was um, nominated for an Academy Award in nineteen eighty three. Actually, lost out to the right stuff. Oh, okay. But it's it's one of those political thrillers, you know, mm. and and Nick Nolte and Gene Hatman are a in a love triangle with Joanna Cassidy, and they end up in like in the middle of uh, middle of conflicts and stuff, and they're taking photos of the actual. I think I have seen this film now. It, Ed, did you say Ed Harris? Ed Harris. Yeah, I have and seen this film got, a long time and it's, ago. It's, it's a yeah. bit like in some ways, it's a little bit like the Jennifer Connelly character in Blood Diamond. You know, that yeah, kind of yeah, conflict. I do remember now. Um, yeah, yeah. Chinatown, you probably know, is the Roman Polanski classic, yeah. which is. Um, Jack, Jack Nicholson and Jack Gittes. There's, it's she's a private detective in 1940s Chinatown. Have you not seen it, Theo? Oh, you need to. You oh, would love it as well. It's it's 70s I'd as well. Like it's your it. era. Yeah, 19, you would really 1974. Like um, very much um, a really great film. War probably regard in in screenwriting circles. Robert Town screenplays regarded. And what's the synopsis without ruining it? It's a tricky one. Okay, so um, Jake Gittes is approached by a woman called Mrs. Moray to um, to wonder why her husband, who runs Water and Power in Los Angeles, is seeing another woman. She's seeing another woman. She's seen another man, I should say. Oh, right, yeah. So, of course, Jack Nicholson is kind of trying to do a bit of investigation. Then all of a sudden, Faye Dunaway emerges into the scene, and then 
stuff happens. Right. Yeah, and it, that's about to spoil it. Any more than that? I can't. I can't. I, you have to kind okay. of. I would just do it. Okay. So that's that's those. That's the first one. Okay. So on to John Williams, um, Empire Strikes Back, which I think is the best of the Star Wars scores. Superman, the movie, the original mm. score is brilliant, and Raiders of the Lost Ark, of course, yeah. just majestic. Um, those Did are that, the, da, 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 do they use that throughout the, the yeah. it's, it is the common theme even and, the recent ones yeah yeah it's, yeah? it's okay. still the spirit it, it, you can't imagine because <laughs> it's called Ford. the Raiders March it's called the it? Raiders March yeah. there is actually funnily enough the actual opening of Raiders doesn't actually open with the theme it actually yeah. opens with a very atmospheric um, when it's emerging through because the opening sequence is like the um, like the Paramount logo, and then it cuts to Peru, and then it has a... Do any of them open with the Raiders' March? I don't think any of them do. No, they open They open very... Like, the second one opens with Anything Goes. Yes, yeah. But they actually aren't like... Um, and in and in the third one, there's, again, it's atmospheric music. And then in the fourth one, it's actually... Um, there's a... Um, a, um, like a Bill Haley's track, you know, when they're driving along, they're, yeah, they're driving it, towards the base, and the Paramount logo becomes a molehill, or yeah, something, yeah, isn't it? And you're like, oh, okay. but they did, but they used like it was a um, Chinese version of Anything Goes, sung by Kate Capshaw in the Temple of Doom. But the actual, but again, it, it it's they're normally at the end of it. I mean, the mm. Raiders theme, the actual complete Raiders theme, plays over the the climax of um of the uh, of Raiders. But I actually have the complete soundtrack. So yeah. it includes all the cuts, you know, like the, the the opening sequence. Then it, it, I mean, it opens with the Raiders theme at the beginning, but it actually the second track is actually the opening music. Um, but yeah, so that's that's that one. Now onto my next one, James Horner. Um, I've still rated his his soundtrack for Battle Beyond the Stars, which was the space remake of of Magnificent Seven. Yeah, and it's significant because it was also the movie that gave James Cameron. And Gail and Herb, one of their early things, because James Cameron was art director on Bow Beyond the Stars. Okay. And of course, later on, James Cameron worked with James Horner on Titanic and Aliens. What does art director mean specifically? Special effects? Or? Well, it's kind of like the, so that's the where he started, uh, actual design. I mean, the most famous story was, of course, um, they didn't have the hero spacecraft. And James Cameron just sort of said, well, and it's in this book on Roger Moore. He said, well, what does he like? He likes Amazon women and tits. So he designed a spacecraft with tits. Because I always model um, Battle Beyond the Stars with The Last Starfighter, but I know Battle Beyond the Stars is, um, you've even got those aliens that like eat each other's food and, you know, like one, so one goes, "Mm," yeah, it's Nestor, it's Nestor, there's, there's a great joke in that where um, they're they're like psychic and he goes, four of us, we got five of us on the ship and four of us pilots and then Rob Richard Thomas says what about the fifth he goes we always carry a spare <laughs> but it also features things like um, Sybil Danning as Saint Texman and she says you've never seen anything until you've seen a Valkyrie go down but it's got like George Peppard as Cowboy it's got Robert Vaughn, Vaughn yeah, as Gales, the nod to... and um, and it's got Morgan Woodward as um, as Cayman of the Lambda Zone and it's got John Saxon as a really delicious villain in, in as Sador um, but it's great because it was shot in a lumber yard in Venice. Yeah. You know, and you could, they, they said in the book, it's, but it was shot for about two or three million. And what's great about it is the James Horner score is still fantastic. It's, you can listen to it on online. And I still think if you listen to that song and then listen to Star Trek to the wrath of Khan, um, it's great anyway. But as I say, 48 hours, 
Um, the track Subway Station is actually the music that was featured on the trailer so for this Commando. This is the Eddie Murphy. Eddie so, Murphy, okay. Nick Nolte. Mm. And it's such a contrasting score to the early ones, but there's a great, the music for, there's a thing called Subway Station where they're pursuing Luther into the thing. And that music was actually sampled on the Arnold Schwarzenegger film Commando trailer. Yeah, because I always remember that. I, was, I always remember watching 48 Hours and going, hold on, isn't that the theme from Commando? But <laughs> yeah. it's obviously it's but not of course it's the trailer. Because it came on. But but this is what happens. They they often sample mm. um, music from other films oh, right. for things. So, for example, in um, Die Hard, the opening, the closing scenes where, um, you know, spoiler alert, guys, but when Argyle shoots Carl, mm. the music from that was taken from Aliens. You'd think they'd want to keep away from that sort of thing. Well, they, though, well funny enough, they sampled a score, John Scott's score from Man on Fire for the ending again, because they like, um, so in Spy Love Me, um, John Glenn, who was editing, he actually used Lawrence of Arabia. When, when, the, when their van breaks down, the scene where they're going off to the boat, they yeah. used Maurice Shah's score for Lawrence of Arabia. So it, it's, it's sometimes the music will be used as a, the music will then be used as can be used pretty well. So sometimes, like with Bad to the Bone, for example, yeah. when Cameron said, I was reading four screenplays today, the editors felt it wasn't serious enough. But then the funny thing is, is it worked because they wanted to establish the character. Say, well, Iggy's back. We yeah. got to do it. And he, it was a fun thing. So that I mean, was... Horner's score for, um, well, in... Um, Star Trek Three: The Search for the Klingons theme is the same as the Alien. A part is used reused in Aliens, isn't it? It's the oh, same. No, that that's totally different. That was actually used as it was a different. It was a different sample. It was like it's a, it's the same star, but when you yeah, well, I mean, but, yeah, but it's not when you watch, Sandra, yeah. if you were to listen to Horner scores in, from 1983, things like Gorky Park and Brainstorm, two other soundtracks I'd recommend. Um, his sound, his train, his thing evolved. So, and I think it kind of changed around Braveheart. It, the soundtrack he did for Braveheart actually sort of segued into what he did the music on on Titanic and beyond. And Titanic was one of the most successful soundtracks in '98. I mean, it it, it was in the top ten albums. Um, but again, it, you know, watching his 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 style of thing evolve, it was it was really interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's James Horner. Now, Lalo Schifrin, without question, wrote um, one of the all-time great jazz. Because I don't know the name at all. Bullet. Oh, okay. Now he I, wrote. Okay, he right, composed yeah, the music. He composed the music for Bullet, Dirty Harry, and the Mythical Horror. Again, um, you know his jazz style that he created for. You know when you listen to that music again, that's another one where the, it's impossible to imagine the music the film without the music and there's a great the opening sequence is a really great jazzy score and and all throughout it's it's the whole style of it um there's a track on it called the aftermath of love which again you can vaguely hear after johnny ross gets shot in the helto you can hear it on the radio it's and you if you if you've heard the soundtrack and you're wondering well where was that play you can actually hear this very faint radio play the Mityville horror for example is a really eerie kind of thing probably one of the best horror scores like the omen it's like really la, 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 la. and it, again that kind of adds to the tension because the Mityville house is like that really yeah and it's you know the kind of the use of the the strings and the and the brass and stuff I mean, you mentioned that the omen. I always thought that that score, that that kind of, down, 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 I can't do it. But you know, where, it, <laughs> but it's it's so effective because you don't see um, 
it's not like the exorcist where all these people are possessed and da 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 they i mean they, a lot of them you know they stare but it's like the dog but the chant but the actual chant the music the ave satani i mean goldsmith won the oscar for that mm. the, the track ave satani sorry and it's it's but it, it's kind of weird how because there's actual words for that it's like mm. you 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 hear it one way when you do it but then you realize like with jewel of the fates for john williams on the yeah. you know when he when he did the when he did that famous theme from phantom menace and you're hearing that and and there's He's got like the choir in this. What else, what is that language that they're singing in? Um, I think it might be Latin or something. I think he's obviously. Yeah, it must be. Yeah. I think what what Williams did was he obviously wanted to go like we've Goldsmith did on that one. He's, he he was looking for a very ominous chant, mm. you know, and he he kind of had an idea about when he was playing the music and he was dum bum, and it's that kind of thumping track that really terrifies it. But then of course he he sort of contrast it with like the love theme like the music for robert and kathy thorne the opening scene when when um robert thorne says to kathy goes it's me i've 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 become ambassador and then it cuts to the sequence where they're showing the cab in london and they're going to their big house and then there's a whole sequence where it's very playful and gentle but then it then it cuts into the whole thing i mean that's the one thing where there's a lot of you know it's it's kind of very emotional in terms of evoking the actual yeah the the style of it and that's what that's it's a what, real slow burner isn't it the omen when you watch it you know you always think of the moment you know the spoiler the guy getting his head sliced yeah. off and um, um but that's but but there's no but the funny thing is there is no music in that sequence yeah yeah it's like and then of terrible. course with the scene like um with like when the priest gets you know so Skewed. we're gonna it's, but it's but oh, again the falls on the, it, yeah. but the the funny thing is the actual music is building and building and building. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when, Stops, when the, yeah. then the spike comes down, it just cuts down and then yeah. you cut to that. So it's like one of the skills of using music in films is that you actually, you, it's about knowing when to use it. Yeah, now, if you much. take the 1979 film version of Scum, there is no music whatsoever. So that's the original. The, no, the, the, well, the, the the film version, not the TV version. Oh, I see. Because they they re they remade it because Scum had been banned on TV, so they did a film version with Ray Winston again, the same actors. Yeah. But when so you say that again, so what was it originally? A TV show. It was a TV play called Playful Today called. And that wasn't Scum. allowed on TV. It was banned at the time. So they made a film. So they decided. Oh, right. So that Alan Clark, um, who was the writer and director of the original version, decided to use the same actors, including Ray oh, Winston. See. Because it was actually Ray Winston's first ever major. Right. I mean, he did it. It was around the same time with Quadrophenia. Mm. But again, you. That was the thing I, that struck me about that movie film was I watched it on Channel Four when it was first on, and again, it was so striking because there was no music whatsoever. Just echoes and doors slamming. Yeah. And I mean, another one that I another one that comes to mind is the China Syndrome, the um, ja, Jane Fonda and. Okay, so it, it's the famous story is this is about a nuclear reactor that breaks down the story goes that it was released but about three weeks after it was released it actually there was real like three mile island exploded and then it oh, added yeah. to it so it became oh, right. so art in imitating yeah, yeah. life but again that was on sony movie channel recently and i watched it and again aside from the american the american track at the beginning there is no music at all even right on the, the credit sequence it's just 
Totally no, no. I have to watch that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen that in a long time. Um, you basically just, and Theo, you haven't seen any film with the word China or Chinese, you know, like China <laughs> down the no, Anything Asia related. No. What's the one with um, in China in New York the, the, with the things? Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah, I've seen that one. There you oh, go. okay. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> so I think in a minute, um, let me just complete um, the next one because yeah, sorry, I will yeah. be talking about John Carpenter in a minute. That's oh, okay. Right, um, okay. So Ennio Morricone, um, The Untouchables, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, and The Mission. Again, um, probably one of the most prolific composers of all time. He's probably made, apparently, in 1984... Here's, here's, a, here's a quick pop quiz for you. How many films do you think he composed by the time he, 1984 rolled around? Over to you, Andrew. <laughs> what, as in, in, how, in the calendar total year? No, so, oh, total. total number of film scores. God, because I... Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say well into the 50s, I would have guessed. Bigger. What? A hundred? No. Bigger. What? 200? Bigger. Bloody hell, 500? Bigger. What? Uh, 1,000. That doesn't make any Lower. sense. Uh, 750. Lower. 700? Lower. 600? Yes. Blimey. So, uh, so I, there was... Um, so how long was he doing that for, though? Well, he's been, he was doing it for decades. It but 10, but 10, I, 20 a year. They had, um, but they had a thing in Starburst on Italian cinema, and any of my Curry's Coney scene, and he said, well, he was the most prolific score composer in time with over 600 scores at that time. Um, I mean, the mission, for example, the music in that was actually used. The sam- if you're talking about samples, that was actually used on the trailer for Braveheart. Um, Good, the Band, the Ugly is probably his most famous one for the spaghetti westerns, and the Untouchables, which is the Sean Connery, um, you know, the, the actual big screen version. It's real great, um, you know, majestic, really a real classic example yeah. where the music can, you know, it's a big screen movie, but it's got such a Heroic score and then da, 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 and, the, and the sort of the, da, 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 that creepy sound for you know Capone the da 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 no that's the thing though da 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 yeah that's one yeah sorry da 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 bum 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 da da See if you're watching this on the stream, you get the real trees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, we get the bobbing and everything. Okay, so okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about John Carpenter. I mean, I've got some honourable mentions. I mean, my favourite score of John Carpenter's is Escape from New York. Okay, um, because it's really the one that has so much variety. I mean, it's also got um, one of his most next to Halloween. It's probably his most famous. What's the the thing? It's just a heartbeat. Boom, 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 boom. boom. Well, that's actually Ennio Morricone. Oh, okay. That, okay, because that answers my question. I was going to say, although, does John Carpenter Although come Carpenter did admit that he actually used some electronic, like some mm. atmospheric seek. There's some. There's certain moments where Carpenter used some kind of electronic stuff in. Did there. they keep that sound in the um, the le- the last thing film? Did they use that boom, boom? Yeah, boom, I mean, boom. it was. I think they used it in. I mean, you're talking about the prequel, aren't you? Yeah, the original yeah, they, they did a they they actually used I think um, a version of it. They used a version of at the very end of it because it was basically because oh, it was setting the, up. Yeah, they yeah. Were yeah setting, the idea is you could mush them together and make yeah, one very yeah. long film. Um, but here are some here are some other ones that I want to talk about. One of them is Michael Kamen. His scores for Die Hard and Robin and Prince of Thieves. Yeah, um, you know the you know the the bum da 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 da. da, da. I mean. Die Hard is the um, actually used the Beethoven of Ode to Joy, um, but it's yeah a, when they open the when they finally get the bank open. Yeah, yeah. Da, 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 what do these um, in? Uh, oh, it's did did he do Die Hard with a Vengeance as well? When they have the yeah, the, it, I mean he did. It, 
Michael came and did all the scores for the Die Hard films. Well, I don't think he did. I think he was dead by the time they did because he died um, after after Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think he didn't. He was he. he so he went to his grave thinking we've made a perfect trilogy of action yeah. films here, not knowing yeah. what was to come. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, moving on to others. There's um, Jerry Fielding's The Wild Bunch um, from Sam Peckinpah, which is a really great um, atmospheric score. There's a he had a really interesting style of music. It was, um, I think it was a mixture of um, like wind and brass and stuff. Mm. And, they, and he actually used like military drums at the start of that film because the opening sequence of The Wild Bunch, do you know the film? I know of it. I've yeah. seen it. For okay, a, so a, it's a about a bunch of aging outlaws who meet their end in 1910 at Mexico. But the, the opening sequence, which is actually them arriving, it's a really great... And it's and the the mu it's one of those wonderful fusions of it. And actually, when Jerry Fielding's score main comes up, da 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 da, and it it's it's like the in Friesen, It's a wonderful bit of music that appears, and it sort of announces Jerry Fielding's name. Okay, so um, another score that I recommend is Bruce Broughton's for Silverado. Now that was on. It's a great um, epic score, real classic western type score. It was on Sony Movie Channel yesterday. I loved it. It's still one of my favorites from that one. Uh, Max Steiner's Gone with the Wind. Da, da, okay. da, da, yeah, da, yeah, yeah. It's just, that's beautiful. Um, Wolfgang Eric Kongold's, Kongold's The Avengers of Robin Hood, the Ellie Flynn movie, which again was an influence on John Williams for Star Wars. That was actually the style because when George Lucas was doing Star Wars, he didn't want like an electronic school in the fifties, for example, things like forbidden planets. If you listen to the electronic music, there's, there's kind of an atmospheric, it's like computerized music, but John William, um, George Lucas wanted a very emotional score. So with getting back to the empire strikes back, he wanted to do it. Um, Elmer Bernstein, the magnificent seven, the great escape classic scores. I mean, the, Mm. people seem to forget that the great escape was a great score it was not a bunch of wankers in england doing trumpets on a bloody football match <laughs> it's it's a great score it's just you know it's the the whole thing is is that that you know people need to be reminded look it's not a football theme it's a great score I know, for I a hate film. You. i hate hearing it. i'm like this was fine 20 years ago when you first started doing it stop yeah. um, i would also so moving on to a couple of uh, three others now um don ellis's score for the french connection um, which is a um, bum, 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 bum. I actually asked William Freakin when he came over for the Exorcist thing in 98, I asked him, I said, well, what was the reasoning behind it? And he said, well, actually, because he was in Chicago, he was a jazz composer in Chicago, and he wanted that kind of style for, for the film itself. Um, and then two classic war scores dimitri tiomkins for the guns of navarone okay um he was actually blacklisted in america it was ram mccarthy oh. and so of course him and carl foreman who was the writer on um the writer on guns of, guns of navarone they came over to europe to do that film and dimitri tiomkin did things like rio bravo which inspired john carpenter's assault precinct 13 you can hear that as well um and probably my favorite british war theme is ron goodwin where eagles there which again is a Again. Clint Eastwood. Yeah. He's loving the. Okay. The composing. So yeah. So um. So yeah. So not missing the beat. Um. I thought I'd talk to a little bit about my favorite Bond soundtracks. Okay. We're moving on to Bond. 
Bond okay. is definitely his favourite films. Okay, so we're actually... Nine o'clock. Okay. So uh, my favourite Bond soundtracks of all time, I mean, Marvin Hamlish's For the Spy Love Me, which again is a wonderful variation of it, and it has my favourite Bond theme of all time, which is Nobody Does It yeah. Better. Um, can't ignore John Barry. So my favourite four John Barry scores are Moonraker, Run Majesty's Secret Service, You Only Live Twice, and Goldfinger. David Arnold's score for Casino Royale, which I think was just brilliant. I mean, the, and it also has a pretty good theme in, you know, Chris Cornell's thing in. Yeah, in, you know my name. In, you know my name. I mean, that actually adds to it. The, da, 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 da. And then, excuse me, and then Eric Serres for Goldeneye, which again was really interesting because he'd added, because he'd done Leon, you know, the, the yeah. John Reno okay. thing. And, he, and the funny thing is the actual, and actually he also does sings the climactic song in that. So if you listen to, so Tina Turner sings the main thing, which was written by um, U2 and Nelly Hooper, but um, the actual atmospheric thing at the end is actually, um, is Goldeneye. I mean, John, I mean, On Imagine's Secret Service is one of those rarities where they don't, the theme of the film is actually not the song. No. It's actually like we have all the time in the world. Um, Morris Binder actually talked us, told an interesting story about Sheena Reeson on For Your Eyes Only, where... Um, she misinterpreted what the Bond theme should be. So in the opening sequence for your eyes only, the last thing that Blofeld says, put me down, put me down. Yeah. So of course he gets dropped in. Anyway, Sheena Easton decided she wanted to write a song called Put Me Down. And okay. Maurice Binder said, no, no, that's not what it is. You've got to listen to it. It's actually the title of the song. It's for your eyes only. And then of course she did that song. So that was the theory behind that. Um, of course, um, John um, Sheena Easton is one of those was what was a rare where she actually was I think she was the only person to actually appear on the end, big opening credits because she sings on the credits oh does she yeah for your eyes I only I that again I don't remember yeah because you don't see because um, you do get in um, live and let die you get um, someone performing it when he goes to see Mr Big in the club you get someone yeah, performing oh, somebody like, yeah. says live and let die um, so to finish off it is time for my all-time favourite soundtrack of all time. Drum roll, please. Yeah, I was just thinking that, but we don't edit on the show. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it is. Know, really. My all-time favourite is yeah. Saturday Night Fever. Okay. Oh, really? You're going for that, would yeah. you? I so, um, so what it was, was the reason I, I've given four reasons. One of them is it serves the film. Mm -hmm. How it, many songs were in Saturday Night Fever? There's 17 cuts. There are 17 cuts and there are two... What B do you mean 17 cuts? 17 tracks. Okay. Okay. And there are two Bee Gees covers on it. So I thought it was all Bee Gees songs. No, no. Not. There are two Bee Gees covers on it. Two covers? Oh, two okay. Well, two, B two people cover it. One of them is Yvonne Elliman singing If I Can't Have You. That was a Bee Gees song. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And you also get two versions of the same song. Oh. Namely, the Bee Gees sing More Than A Woman and then Tavira sing More Than A Woman. And if you watch the oh, movie... Right. In the rehearsals for the dance, yeah, they sing that they use the Tavares song, oh, but right. in the actual routine in the club, they oh, use the, the original, original Bee Gees oh, thing. Okay, right. um, as I say, and it and as I say, it works as an album on its own terms. You can record sequences in the film where the music plays, and there isn't a duff track on the on the album. It's one of those that I think is near yeah. perfect. Even David Shire's um, incidental music, so. For example, Night on Disco Mountain, which is a variation of Bizorsky's Night on Ball Mountain, which was famously used in Fantasia. Mm. Um, it's a sequence where they're on the bridge, and, you know, and, and they're yeah. doing they're sort of messing around on the bridge. But also, um, David Shaw's Manhattan Skyline is actually used when Stephanie Morgano is actually 
practicing and he goes i understand you were practicing to be a bitch he goes and stuff like that but um and then of course at the very end of it there's um in the final sequence you have open sesame's calling the gang in there as well um there's um you should be dancing which is the most famous one of yeah. course as i said earlier the jive talking is was actually i think an additional one i think they did a contractual thing probably put it in there as additional track but it's not actually in the film itself oh. Um, I'm still trying, although I got the Blu-ray, I'll probably have to watch it again, but <laughs> I don't think it's actually in the film. I think it was just part of the album, but I do remember, as I say, my parent, my father brought it home one lunchtime and I remember opening up the double album. They got all those pictures in there and I was too young to see it. <laughs> although that said, I did see it eventually in the more family friendly version, the night of Charles and Diana's wedding. Oh, okay. It was actually the. It was actually it actually premiered on ITV. What year did it come out then? Nineteen seventy-seven, seventy-eight. Seventies oh. again, another film in the seventies that was like a big, amazing film. The seventies are like the top, and that's yeah. why I'm surprised you haven't seen Chinatown. Never heard of it. I think you still haven't realised that my background. But it, <laughs> but it's but again, it, it's it. The whole thing is is um. Is that would that been one of the well, what's the sort of top three soundtracks most popular soundtracks? That's got to be up there. Saturday Night yeah. Fever, Grease, and Grease, yeah. um, I think Saturday Night. Is they're good sound alone sound alone soundtracks. They're just good. Like, oh, the graduate. The I think film. things like the Graduates is probably up there because yeah. you know the Simon and Garfunkel one. Because oh. again, that in funny enough, that is actually a movie that actually again that was another one where probably be framed with Simon and Garfunkel songs again associated with the graduates. Yeah. Um, I mean, other ones that I'd sort of bring in here as well, for example, are Walter and Walter, AKA Wendy Carlos for Tron and Clockwork Orange. Cause she did electronic scores. Vangelis, be it Blade Runner and the Bounty. Um, another honorable mention I want to do is the shark is machine soundtrack, which was, um, snuff Garrett, the Burt Reynolds film. That's got a great score. Um, a lot of songs on there. Also the, Randy Crawford version of Street Life on that can also be heard on Jackie Brown. Oh. If you're on use. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the same track, if you listen to that, they use the same thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, what else did I pick on here? Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of really great. I mean, funny enough, when I was looking at all these today, it's, it's like um, I, was, I was actually sort of thinking, well, there's so much more. I could probably talk to you for hours yeah. and do other things as well. Cause there'll be other scores that come into the mix. And I, I who was the famous guy that did, um, I think he's well known that did, um, Oh God, who's the, 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 the bloody film life is a box of chocolates. Oh, Forrest Gump. That yeah. was Alan yeah. Silvestri. Alan's, yeah. What he done. He he's did well, the Hulk. I think he did the Hulk. Well, he did. He's done a whole load of things. He also did. Yeah. The, he was like, he, well, he, known well he did, he's, he's Robert Zemeckis, his term collaborator. So who's that? Um, Rob Smeck's Back to the Future, Romance okay, of the right. Sun. But it also, um, if you listen to the, if you listen to the, if you watch the trailer for The Fugitive, you will also hear Sylvester's music on there for uh, The Abyss. Oh, okay. James Cameron, the James Cameron James thing. Cameron, you can actually yeah. hear, okay. you can, it's kind of his, um, like when there's some of the climactic stuff in, in The Abyss, when there's a big, when there's sort of Ed Harris and Michael Bean are fighting, there's actually in there as well. And it's, it's very atmospheric. So that's another score that actually is well used in terms of... Are there any sort of real, like, top-class iconic scores, the sort of, like, uh, that you recognise instantly, the boom-boom, or the Jaws, or whatever? That, oh, what's yeah. the last one that's been done? I th I think the Avengers theme. It's so... No, because when you... When you the funny thing is, when... That's again, I think today, for example, I think the new generation of people who love the music, when they hear that theme, 
Right. It's yeah. like you you when you hear that dun dun da 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 dun bum bum, and it's always like it sets you again. It, it does exactly what a theme does, which it sets you up for the next one. And they use all that in all the fit. All yeah, the, it's okay, all there. So. Yeah, um, the... I don't think in terms of before the Avengers movies, I think they 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 were setting up. But then it, when they did Avengers Assemble, right, I think okay. that was the theme that came out, and it's the common thing now because you know when it sort of really is it uplifts you in the way like with Superman or with, with Ray Indiana Jones, it's like the song or, you know, that kind of heroic. Yeah. Well, they use, I think they, I think in, in, in uh, infinity war, they save it till Thor arrives, don't they? Yeah. They save it. And it's a huge moment, you know, when he turns up and turns the tide of the battle, spoiler alert. So it is like Pavlovian conditioning. They're using it even when they know. Well, yeah, yeah, because I don't think it's because the film's quite bleak up to that right, point. Okay. And, and also his storyline is particularly bleak. But I mean, to hold it back. And yeah, then because it's in. for the big yeah, moment yeah, yeah, yeah. of that. Well, but it, but again, that to me is the. No, but, but again, it, I think audiences now, I think because they're focusing on, you know, I, th- I think the kind of the philosophy has shifted away from, you know, I think music is still there and they respect it. And I think it'll take time for certain scores to catch up. I mean, a yeah. lot of, you know, when, when we, when we look at the scores that I've, I've seen here, I mean, it's kind of like a lot of the scores we've heard in the forties and fifties, there's a whole load of scores that, you know, if you take, you know, I mean, one of the things that really annoyed me recently was they did a poll of the top hundred soundtracks and they named Howard Shaw's score for Fellowship of the Ring. Now, oh, I'm right. not disputing it. I don't, Howard Shaw's a great composer. He's actually, he's, he started with David Cronenberg. If you mm-hmm. listen to things from The Brood onwards, I mean, some of his scores for the Cronenberg stuff's great. But what annoyed me about that poll was that there wasn't a single Jerry Goldsmith score in there. It was very, very odd. Really? It, it, was, it was so odd. I was like... And I, I was going, you know, and you, you sort of go through the list and you're thinking. But what was the poll for? Like, what was it? The magazine it was, the, it was, what was there you know, it was a poll for the top hundred soundtracks. But who's being polled? Is it like a, it's, well, a magazine? Pe- people a who TV? seem to think film be- began with Pulp Fiction or something. But but it's <laughs> like, that, but no, but that but that was my point was that, you know, there was a top hundred soundtracks. And I think, it's, you know, I it was, it may, might have been just me, but it was like, I just, I just couldn't understand. Well, if you're going to talk about the all-time greatest soundtracks, I mean, how do you determine the all-time greatest? Soundtrack? Do you determine it by decade? Do you determine it by composer? This is why when we we did this, not I didn't want to sort of poll any favorites. I just said to you, these are great. These are yeah. these are specific soundtracks, and they are they're pinpointing the ones that sort of stand out for me yeah. per se. So it, it's not like I was just a little bit annoyed that. Whoever polled this, whoever polled, I can't this, believe not even one in a hundred. No, I couldn't agree. I, I'd be shocked if there was because if he didn't because have one I think in even 10. because the funny thing with things like, you know, when you know because people are aware of it. You know, if you if if you look at Rogue One, people know the Star Wars film. Or they people see, you know, a Spielberg thing, or they see something like that. That's that's what I can't. That's the only thing I can't quite get round. I'm hoping that you know people will respect stuff like that a bit more. And that I hope that in future people will say, right, we're going to, you know, go and listen to these scores. They're just fantastic, you know, and, and watch Chinatown and, and appreciate them and watch, you know, there's, there's people like Miklos Roska, there's people who did Ben-Hur or, or some of the other classic ones. There's, oh yeah, if you go back to those days, they must have been really important, like that sort of, well, because, oh, but also, I mean, if you go back to the early days of cinema when there was no dialogue. You only had the oh, music right sound. Back. Yeah, yeah but you just had a you know you had a piano player you know in this in the theater and people you know when you I mean Cole another one to bring up is Carl Davis who who worked with Kevin Brownlow on the Silence 
Now, Cole Davis is another one who did a really great, you know, um, like when they reissued Safety Last as a Thames Silent. Cole Davis, I went to see it at the Dominion and actually he was in, he actually composed the score and we watched him compose the score. I mean, they, the funny thing is they do it today at the Royal Abbott Hall. You know, they do like these screenings with the live orchestra. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. So they do things like, so they'll do Jurassic Park oh, and they'll okay. do like the Star Wars films. Um, I'm not quite sure how that works. It's, it's kind of odd because I'd rather watch the film yeah. and just listen to the score because it's part of the film as to whether... So is the film pl- the film's playing? The yeah, film, I would the find film's, that would the film's playing. Is there, is there talking? No, no. They, they sc- I've never been to it, but I understand that they, they play the film. Maybe somebody who watches yeah. this can clarify if they have seen it, but it's like the thing. That's fine. Oh, oh, oh you watched oh, it? Oh, our producer Karam has watched one. I watched the Harry Potter one. Oh, great. Uh, what was it like? What was it like? It what was did, great what, what because... Was the, what, what, what happens? What they did is they uh, basically took out the soundtrack from the film. Right. But left everything like the sound effects and the dialogue oh, in, the, in the film. Oh, right. So it's like a special cut of the film. Oh, okay. And then the soundtrack... And it's a good mix as well. The soundtrack is a bit more, of course, oh, loud so, than the original. Oh, now I get you. So what they do is they kind of... So what Warners have actually done, what they've done is they've, they've, they've sort of done it without. So it's obviously like a cut before, I suppose, like they do in the studio. They exactly. say, so we'll take exactly. all that out. And then they'll say, well, this is, and then Thank they work correct. it and propose. Right. Now I get it. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you'd sit through that. Was it worth it? How much did you pay? 10, 20, 30, 40. 50, 60 quid. See, about 10 years ago, I went to something. It was, um, they, uh, I think they called it Star Wars, a musical journey. And they did what at the time was the six films. Um, and they played you, they didn't do the whole, um, films. Obviously we didn't do, we didn't do 12 hours, but kind of gave you a bridged and an abridged version with the main themes from each, you know, and then I see that. Was it, was it the actual, I think they, they did it actually as a DVD extra or something where they showed, it was like a, um, I think I recall that. I do actually, and again, it was like, I think Ian McDiarmid, who played the Emperor, he sort of introduced these themes and then they showed like clips and montage. Yeah, see this one, this was at the O2 and they had, um, it was that, but it was, and this one was with Anthony Daniels. So he would do, so essentially they told the story, but in a very abridged form. So it was like, so um, uh, the Jedi were the Guardians of Peace of the Justice and the Galaxy, and then it would show you, you know, mm. the, the, the important yeah. bits of, Thingy, and I was like, and then they went to Tatooine and met a boy who would grow up to be, you know, and oh, blah, right, blah, yeah. blah. And so they just went, they Commentary. skipped through, yeah. But they did all six films, and that was quite good. I'm not sure because, I mean, there was also a, a, a wonderful moment where they stood up and did um, the cantina, you know, mm. so you've got all these sweeping, majestic, um, you know, uh, music, and then suddenly the the brass section have to stand up and go and that was wonderful seeing that in the what's, wasn't there Halloween's what's the Halloween the, the, the advert in the do you remember the, yeah he goes dun, 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 two more days to Halloween Halloween <laughs> Halloween <laughs> two more days to Halloween silver shamrock <laughs> two more days to Halloween just Halloween that, do, 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 do. and then this, at some point it is just the put on do, do, do. put on your masks <laughs> it's time for the big giveaway at nine <laughs> put gather around put your TV on oh god and it's at the very spoiler alert but when Tommy goes there's no more time please stop it stop it <laughs> which, uh, which, which Halloween was that Halloween 3 season of the Witch. Oh, oh is well, that late? I thought it was earlier. But it's but again, it, it's like 
song. Because that's the spin-off, isn't it? That's the one that steps out of. Yeah, but, my, it, but yeah, it's actually. Like it, but to be honest with you, it actually. I, yeah, I, so that because I got confused. So what was it? What happened there then? What it was was yeah, um, Michael Myers in one and two. No, no, that, there is a reference to Michael Myers in Halloween three. What it is is um, Tommy Lee Wallace wrote it. Nigel Neal, who did Quatermass, was actually original writer, and he was doing. So the story goes, he was doing. He was writing a remake for Creature from the Black Lagoon for Universal at the time. And Nigel Neal just got, there was a major disagreement. He didn't like the fact that a lot of the ideas, he wanted to work with Tommy Lee Wallace. And then Nigel Neal said, I didn't care about the audience, didn't want to do it. But the story is, is that there's, um, so there are some elements in Halloween through like Stonehenge, like the, the, the magical stones. And what it is, is an old man is being pursued by this suited guy and he ends up in a hospital and he says, they're coming, they're coming. And he's holding a Halloween mask. So Dr. Dan Chalice, played by Tom Atkins, goes with the daughter of the man who's killed to to Santa Mira where they make these masks. And then, of course, it turns out that the this town is run by Connell Cochran, who runs the factory. And he's got a sinister plan for the kids of kids of America. Yes, yeah, so there's nothing. What, how does the two films join together? They don't. They don't. They don't. See, just... no, the idea was... was so what, how, why at would the that end, work? At the, end, at the end of Halloween 2, yeah. basically, you know... They, they had they had no more story to tell. So John Carpenter and Deborah Hill wanted to do like a Twilight Zone. He wanted to tell different Halloween oh, so stories. Right. So just using the name. Yeah, yeah so it's going to so be like anthology. The problem yeah. is, so the problem was was that Mustafa Akkad, who was the producer of the film, all of a sudden, because it was kind of like what the audience wants, it's kind of like with Friday the 13th, you know, they were going to, when they made the final chapter, they were going to kill off Jason and then the problem was is it made so much more money than the original. They just kept going. They just came up with ideas to revive him like Frankenstein. With Halloween, for example, they made Halloween 3. It didn't do all that well. It's still grown. It's actually grown in stature as a film in its own right. Yeah. It's, a, it's actually... It's not a bad film, It's yeah. not. I mean, they should have just called it Season of the Witch. I yeah, mean, yeah. But the audience, you know, Halloween and Michael Myers are entwined. So they came back in 1989 with the 88, with the, the return of Michael Myers. And then they built it up again. So building it up. And then John Carpenter on the latest one just wanted to bring it back. So, and I think what's great is the serious and what defined that original movie. I mean, it's a greatest hits compilation, the original the new film. And I, mm. I love it for that reason, because it would just felt good to see Michael Myers as he should be. It wasn't a parody. Um, but that's what happened with Halloween three. So that that um, uh, Halloween is coming little tune. Do you think there's that royalty free? I'm just trying to think what could we close the show out with. <laughs> well, it doesn't. It doesn't end. No, it doesn't end with. Um, it doesn't. Halloween three doesn't end like that. It ends with actually. Actually, funnily enough, Halloween. The Halloween three score is actually the most un-Halloween score by John Carpenter. It's done by John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. Okay. And it's gone boom, 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 boom. and there's a real pumping opening track. It's known as the Chariots of Pumpkins. Um, that's that's and that's the open. That's what it's known as. And yeah, then there's not the most um, sinister. Um. But um, there is a very there is actually when they're riding to Santa Mira, there's actually a very a similar kind of theme to Halloween. And it's like a like a similar same kind of style as the Halloween theme, but it's not Halloween. Um, but that's actually, but it's a great score. I mean, there's a real pump in, you know, it's a great synthesizer score and one of Carpenter, that's probably one of my other favorite Carpenter scores as well. I've noticed um, in terms, you know, talking about simple soundtracks, there's one I feel that we, we've omitted. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, oh Sega. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, no, I, I mean, again. I mean, you can't cover everything. No, no, I'm, yeah. but, but, but again, I, I would probably, if, if you want to talk about another composer, I, I'd include Bernard Herrmann for North by Northwest yeah. and uh, Psycho. What's the thing with the Psycho? I don't know if it's that, that, that noise, that's birds being scared. Um, I can't. I, I said, no, it's actually. It's a type of bird being no, scared. No, no, it's, it's, it up it's actually, no, it's, it's actually strings. The actual score for Psycho is all strings. No, but I mean that. that no, that's 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 strings. Oh, it's, it's violin. Somebody said to me that was birds. No, no, up. it's 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 oh. violins. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's interesting how iconic that moment is because I should have. I I did my. Th- yeah, I, you, you know, I normally describe, but I, all I did was um, <laughs> jabbing with my arm, yeah. and that was it, and everyone knew what it was. <laughs> but I think that I mean that moment has so permeated the culture. You know, kids. I'm sure kids who've never even seen that film probably. Know was, but it's also moment. the the theme itself again. The the music, it's not just that then. Bum, bum, mm. I mean, funnily enough, um, Richard Band um, stole it for Reanimator. Oh, okay. If you listen to... Bum, bum, yeah. And it's, the funny thing, if you listen to Scorey, it goes... And the funny thing is you go... And he's actually... It's weird because you... you it works and it doesn't work, but it pisses you off because you know he's blatantly <laughs> nicked it. But again... The actual, again, that's another one where the score for works so highly effectively because the actual, you know, the way that, you know, that sound's been edited. So the key moments, like, for example, where um, when Marion Crane's, when Janet Lee's sort of look, you know, she's in the in the house and she's getting ready and she wants to take the money and then the, the camera pans down on there. And you know, there's there's a shot of them, and then the camera pans across, and it goes that, da, 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 da. and then of course there's the pumping, you know, the, the actual track of, you know, the, that whole kind of same track of the theme opens up like that anyway, but you know, and it just moves forward because it it just follows her, and it's it just adds so much to the soundtrack. And then of course, when Martin Balson gets it, there's that very faint, you know, the, the actual very faint suspenseful violin yeah then it suddenly cuts to like well it's used three times isn't it it's, yeah. it's her death arbogast and then and then the, the reveal. climax and then the reveal um but again it, and also as well you know that part of bernard Herman's school was used in star wars well the uh you know the last like thing dong, bong, bong. you know where yeah. you know where they're in the death star you know they're in the when they're in the death star and they've just been they're in those compartments mm-hmm. when they lift up the compartments and they they, they you know when they're hiding in the falcon when they pull the things up, well, they borrowed part of Perman's score for that scene. What from Psycho? Really? Yeah. You lit, you watch that sequence where where um you know where where the stormtroopers are looking around the thing. Yeah, and they yeah. Can't who's find more them. foolish, the fool yeah. or the yeah, yeah that bit. Well, if you listen when they lift the compartments up, that's actually a sample from Psycho. So the the da, 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 da. is that Darth Vader's that's sort of, Darth Vader's theme? Yeah. That's his theme. Yeah, Has the that Imperial March. In the... No, it, it's. Again, that's another one where when they got to Revenge of the Sith, when they eventually got to the point where, you know, Vader was revealed, it was great because you know that's and it, it's kind of one of those iconic moments. And they actually use this in Rogue One as well. Um, it's so, again, that's another one that, and also this theme for the Emperor, the, mm. you know, they 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 used mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> but again, that was a theme that they used for, I think, in the prequels, you kind of sense Yeah, it that was always like the, FYI, this guy's going to become the Emperor. Oh, I mean, okay. oh, what, you mean the guy that's dressed exactly like the Emperor, <laughs> yeah. played by the same actor? <laughs> yeah. But I suppose the idea is you might be coming to those films right, for the first yeah, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, because they use, um, 
the Imperial March when in even in Attack of the Clones, even when it's not connected with Vader with the, yeah, um, with they, the clone the, tree. The actual I think the the end of Attack of the Clones where I think it's um Well they, there's a different theme for when they show the clones on Kamina. But I think at the very end of yeah, it, when when, when, um, when Palpatine is looking out and you've got all the ships taking off and stuff, that's the clone. And then it cuts to the theme between Padme and Anakin. Again, that's another iconic theme that's come out, like the... I mean, that's oh, the thing yeah. to say about the prequels is I think the score for those is brilliant, regardless of what you yeah. think of the film. Well, Jewel of the Fates, you know, these... But again, I I think that... I, I feel that the Phantom Menace does in a way get treated unfairly from times because of what's happened since. It's like, for example, people moan about Jar Jar Binks, but without Jar Jar Binks, would have we have had Gollum? If you think of the, all the beginning story, the origin stories we've had, you know, we have Batman Begins, we've had the, you know, we've had the Avengers, we've had everything else. When you think of all the digital technology, you know, would it would we have been able to make would they have been able to make Lord of the Rings the way that they had them without the kind of pioneering yeah. technology in there. You get like, you know, motion capture, a lot of this stuff. It's like, I, and I, I don't, I, I'm a big, I like the prequels anyway, because I like the, I think I might mention this before the first half of Phantom Menace with the pod race up until the pod race. I love the Obi-Wan Django Fett subplot in attack of the clones. I think is actually the best thing about it. The third film I like, the only thing that pisses me off, I would have had a rival for Padme between him and Anakin, like a Han Solo rival, like somebody who was in there. And that was my biggest disappointment. I would love to have seen Han Solo in Revenge of the Sith, a younger version, you know, trying to sweep, you know, had Anakin trying to do a Jedi mind trick on Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's soundtracks. Yeah. I think we've learned a lot there. Andrew figured a lot out. Yeah, I mean, just very quickly, yeah, Baptist, that, that, the only thing I would say is that, interesting, the sequels, the sequel trilogy, so we have Force Awakens, yeah, yeah. Thingy, and then we've uh, Last Jedi, and then we've got, what is it, Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. I don't think any of them have given us a theme on the level. No, no, they've, I mean, if you listen to, no, if you listen to, um, actually, if you, there are actually two, there's, um, there's actually, um, uh, there's Kylo Ren singing, da, 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 yeah, and then there's him. Ray singing, going, I might have to go back and watch no, it because I remember it, thinking when you, the when time, you yeah. watch when she arrives when she slides down the, the sand from the, the yeah. destroyer goes are these going to be our two main themes yeah, those, in the, in so, the and final show and actually as well if you if you watch the trailer for you know if you watch the, the I mean have you seen the new teaser Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I've seen the Rise of Skywalker one, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, again, that's got like, um, they're using the actual Princess Leia theme in there. It goes, yeah. dun, dun, and, and actually it's like, and also, um, and I think Lando Calrissian's score is, I think that, because Billy D. Williams is back as Lando Calrissian, so Finally. that's going to feature, you know, okay. Okay. Um, I was just thinking now, uh, the, the only um, score that stands out to me that I remember at the time, just jogged my memory, is that Danny Boyle's um, 28 Days Later. Yeah. I remember watching it and thinking, is the music extra loud? Or am I noticing in it? You know, right at the beginning mm. when he's being But then changed. it's very quiet and kind of creepy, isn't it? Yeah, I'm just trying to think, but I noticed that the, the music was sort of like, because it was that, he'd do the silent thing. Mm. Like, you'd, like you just said, you'd have loud music and then it'd just go to silence. 
Is that specific to horror? It must be. I, I think it's it's part of the like we were talking earlier about the omen. You know the fact that you know they, yeah. they you know. Yeah. But again, it, it's one of those scenes where if a director a director or an editor can sense, and a, comp- a an editor and composer will probably be able to sense with certain specifics. The director knows that he can say, well, I want to put music there, there, and there. And the editor will say, well, actually, but again, it's down to the variables. It's down to the editor to say, if they if they cut it a certain way, then the composer has a much easier job in trying to create what they're trying to do. And and again, but again, it's a collaborative thing that, you know, if they, if they, they can't sort of go to a composer at the beginning and say, we want this, that, or the other, because we haven't made anything yeah. yet. I think it's later, it's specifically where, I think normally a composer will come on board in post-production. So when they're finally getting to the point where, you know, they'll, they'll often use a temp track. Right. So I think in the case of Star Wars, they use things like Holster Planet just to mm. sort of get an idea. What they did was they got a lot of classical tracks and said, well, look, okay, John, this, this is how I want this to be. And then he can go off and then write the score. Yeah. And then that's it. That's that's how they can do it. So they can use a lot of temp tracks. I mean, they do it on a lot of rough cuts anyway. I, I'd heard once that um, Ennio Morricone, apparently he just goes off and does it. And then there is what it is. He's just like, there's my score. And they're like, uh, we haven't actually started filming it, Ennio. But, you know, thanks. It's going great. I don't know if that's true. <clears throat> I, I think Excuse that's, me. But, I, but I think also um, there, are so, there are certain composers because they've been doing it so long. Yeah. I think if you become a prestigious composer, like a Goldsmith or a Williams or a Horner or a Morricone, then they know that, you know, they can get a sense because they are, because they see so much, you know, John Williams can sort of dictate how he, you know, it's, it's an amazing talent to have and it's amazing thing to do because I think music is the, is actually the driving pulse of the piece, you know, okay. So you can, you, or, or it's just one of those things that, it becomes part of the whole of watching it. You know, if, if you can recognize the theme and think about the music afterwards and you, th- and you say, Oh, I like, I, you know, you what, but your, your goal is to watch the movie and enjoy it. But, you know, like I remember watching Bow Beyond the Stars and the music stood out. Halloween stood out for me. The Star Wars from Raiders of the Lost Ark stood out for me. Um, the theme from Total Recall when seeing it on the big screen. I mean, Escape from New York, for example, when we rented that out as, as, as a family, um, I, we actually had a turntable and I connected up the VHS recorder to the turntable okay. and played Escape from New York. And actually the soundtrack, it was two, two speaker mono, but it really enhanced it. So the soundtrack so you, boomed out. So you did your own sort of um, preemptive uh, surround sound. Yeah. Well, it wasn't really surround sound. It was actually well. Just you, two you had the, so you had the, so we had the TV there in the middle, and then I had the the turntable to the side there. And then, of course, after I watched it, I disconnected it all, and then I came home and then played the VHS game with my parents, and they said, "I played this with the turntable." And anyway, so they said, "Well, bloody put it back on and stuff." <laughs> and then we played it again, and again, it, it added so much to it because. That whole score and the actual synthesizer sound, it really added something to it. And um, yeah, they, they are, you know, scores are just, you know, I, I think next to watching movies, they're probably my favorite thing. Fair enough. So soundtracks, that's pretty interesting. Um, yeah. The Bond, oh, quickly, the sort of Bond films, do they, what are they, because they've been going on for so long, how many times have they changed um, composer? 
Um, I think John. Okay, so going through the scores, um, so it was John Barry, George Martin, <laughs> Marvin Hamlish, Bill Conti, Michael Kamen, Eric Serra, <laughs> David Arnold, Thomas Newman. Oh, okay, so again, that's quite oh, yeah. a lot there. And that was, uh, yeah. we all know who, uh, I thought they who tend we to stick the to the people. And then, of course, if you include Monty Norman, who did the theme for Bond, John Barry didn't do the theme. I mean, Monty Norman is credited with the theme for the Bond film. Oh, I want to finish off quick, but um, two films. So, Raging Bull opening theme. Yeah, that's Cavalera Rusticana. That's it, yeah. It's actually, a, it's an opera. Yeah, that's right. And it yeah. also features in um, it also features in the climax of Godfather Part. It's the slow motion, yeah. isn't it? When he's yeah, he's I always thought like that. Whenever I, I, with Godfather Part Three, I'm like, that's piece of music is so associated with Raging Bull. Say, so, and the fact that they chuck it in at the end of it. <laughs> if I was Scorsese, I'd be like, do you know what, Francis? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> but, but it, but again, it, 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 but it works. I mean, I don't think there's any real. I mean, for example, um, like for example, when I when I hear. Be My Baby by the Ronettes in Dirty Dancing, I hear that song in Quadrophenia. Because in, in Quadrophenia, it's when, when the they original go to, Quadrophenia. In the original, when they arrive, basically there's, there's a party they go to in this house and it's the track that they play. So of course it's like, um, and I think Leslie Ash and her boyfriend at the time going, and I hear that track. So when I, so it, it, it was always a bit off-putting when I saw Dirty Dancing at the cinema in 87. Again, it was a track that I thought, oh, this is, and I, that was the thing that I didn't word associate with it anyway. Um, but that said, one final recommendation is the soundtrack to McVicker. Okay, I don't think I know that. Uh, well, McVicker is John McVicker. It's 1980. It's oh. Roger Daltrey's John McVicker, Public Enemy Number 1. But it's actually got a great, um, great song score in there. But it's also got some great incidental music by Jeff Wayne, who did War of the Worlds. Okay. Escape Part 1 and Escape Part 2. Check it out on YouTube if you can, or check it out if you can. It's And it's got a great song, lead song by... Um, Daughtry called Free Me. Free me, can you hear? That's what I see. And there's things like I haven't Justin. seen Quadrophenia. Is that that must have a lot of music in it? Like it's song. it's actually the album, but it also features um a lot of um a lot of like 60s stuff. So yeah, there's okay. like Louie Louie and Be My Baby oh, and um He's So Fine and um Rhythm of the Rain and stuff. So who did the the two the first Godfathers, first and second? The first, it was name. Nino Rota, um, but the music was um, conducted by Carmine Coppola, Francis's father. Oh, really? And he actually won the Oscar. Was he a him. composer? He was a composer, but he had one of the funniest, com- one of the funniest speeches. He says, "I think I because re- he said, um, he says, I want to thank you. I want to thank Francis because if I if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. But then again, if it wasn't for me, he wouldn't be here either. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and then and Coppola and Coppola said at the time, he goes, "Oh, thanks for giving my father the Oscar." But it's like that is just so great. But again, it's um, but again, it, that to me is another iconic score. Yeah. Um, the second one particularly, but I like the um, I mean, it has one of my favorite <laughs> moments in a Godfather Part Two where he's going. You know, da, 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 and and oh, like yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then, as he goes, you know, I want you to, you know, like well, there you go, soundtracks. That was pretty interesting, correct? Yeah. Interesting sound. You liked it. You threw your little bit in there about the Hobbit. Was it the Hobbit? No, where did no, Harry, Potter. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. All right. Well, listen. Small uh, people and wizards. It's yeah. Same right, idea. Well, that, that'll do then. Uh, John, thank you very much. Very You're welcome. Again. You're welcome. Thank you. I'd like to end on. Yeah. Boom. Boom. Boom.
What are, you, are you trying to be Jaws? No, that, oh, bloody hell. No, the thing. What's the... Oh. Yeah, the Jaws... Boom, 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 boom. that mean we're all just going to... It's just that bloody Alsatian just running through the sound. So is that the thing now? We're all just going to sit here and see what happens. We'll keep going until... Which one of us turns out to be the Turns it off, boom, 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 We're actually just boom, booming to the end. Good night, everyone. God's sake, turn it off. This is getting back. Shadows on the wall And the bartender screams That's cold I'm in the corner With my head in the dream To myself I quietly think So many things to get you off And I cough and I scoff And take another drag of my cigarette And I don't mind